Welcome to Voices of Church Past. I'm your host, Rod Bart. Today we'll be going over one of Martin Luther's sermons given on Easter Sunday. The text he'll be remarking on is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. As we heard while explaining the meaning of Christ's passion, there was not, not enough to know its mere narrative in history, so it was not enough to learn only how and when Christ our Lord arose from the dead. You must also preach and understand the benefit and use both of the sufferings and the resurrection of Christ, namely what he thereby acquired for us. For if we preach only its history, it is an unprofitable sermon, which Satan and the godless know, read and understand, as well as true Christians. When we preach to what end it serves, it becomes profitable, wholesome, and comforting. Christ himself pointed out the benefit of his sufferings, resurrection, when he said to the women in Matthew 28.10, Fear not, go and tell my brethren that the day depart into Galilee, there shall they see me. These are the very first words they heard from Christ after his resurrection from the dead, which he confirmed all the former utterances and loving deeds he showed them. Namely, that his resurrection avails in our behalf who believe, so that he therefore anticipates to call Christians his brethren, who believe it, yet they do not, like the apostles, witness his resurrection. The risen Christ waits not until we ask or call on him to become his brethren, until we hear speak of merit by which we deserve anything. What did the apostles merit? Peter denied his Lord three times. The other disciples all fled from him. They tarried with him like a rabbit does with his young. He should have called them deserters, betrayers, reprobates, anything but brethren. Therefore this word is sent to them through the women out of pure grace and mercy. As the apostles at the time keenly experienced, and we experience also, when we are mired fast in our sins and temptations and condemnation. These words, full of all comfort that Christ receives, desperate villains as you and I are, it calls us brethren. Is Christ really our brother? Then I would like to know what we can be in need of. Just as it is among natural brothers, so it is also here. Brothers, according to the flesh, enjoy the same possessions, have the same father. The one inheritance otherwise would not be brothers. So we would enjoy with Christ the same possessions, have a common with him, one father and one inheritance, which never decreases by being distributed as other inheritances do, but it ever grows larger and larger. For it is a spiritual inheritance. But an earthly inheritance decreases when distributed among many persons. He who has a part of this spiritual inheritance has it all. However, what is Christ's inheritance? His heritage is life, death, sin, and grace. All that is in heaven, earth, and eternal truth, and power, wisdom, righteousness. He governs and rules over all. Over hunger, thirst, fortune, misfortune, over everything imaginable, whether in heaven or on earth. Not only spiritual, but also secular affairs. The sum total... Of all is, he has all things in his hand, be they eternal or temporal. Now if I believe on him, I become a partaker with him and of all his possessions, and obtain not only a part or peace, but like him, I obtain all, eternal righteousness, eternal wisdom, eternal strength, 
and become a lord and reign over all. The stomach will not hunger, the sins will not oppress. I will no more fear death, nor be terror-stricken by Satan. And I will never be in want, but will be like Christ, the Lord himself. And in light of this, we now easily understand the sayings here and there in the prophets, especially in the Psalms, as when David in Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions, the rich, do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek Jehovah shall not want any good thing. And in another psalm, Jehovah knoweth the days of the perfect. Their heritage shall be forever. They shall not be put to shame in time of evil. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Psalm 37, 18, 19, and immediately following into verse 25. I have been young and now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. All this comes of itself from the fact that we are and are called Christ's brethren. Not because of our worthiness, but because of God's pure grace. Yes, if God gave us this in our heart, so that we may experience it, then we would be saved. But it goes in one ear and out the other. And this is it that Paul praises so highly and strongly to the Romans when he says, For as many are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. For you receive not the spirit of bondage again unto fear but receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our, with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. The title of being Christ's brothers is so high that the heart of man cannot understand it. The Holy Spirit bestows not this grace, None can say, Christ is my brother. For reason is not bold enough to say so, although one may say it with the tongue. The spirits of modern times do. It is not uttered in this way. It is necessary for the heart to experience it. Otherwise, it is pure hypocrisy. If you truly experience it in your heart, it will be such a great thing that you will much prefer to keep silent than to speak about it. Yea, in the presence of the magnitude of this inheritance, you easily doubt and waver as to whether it's really true or not. Those who only cry, Christ is my brother, Christ is my brother, are not true Christians. A Christian acts quite differently. And it is a very wonderful, so that the flesh shudders at it, dares indeed neither to speak of it nor confess it. We should bestir ourselves to hear this not only with the natural ear, but also to experience it in our hearts. For then we would not be so forward and imprudent, but would be surprised and amazed over it. True and godly Christians go along in life in contempt of themselves and in fear. They think thus, Ah, shall I, a poor miserable person, who am steeped in sin, be now exalted that God's Son becomes my brother? I, how is it that I, a miserable poor creature, am thus honored? I've been once confounded before it and feed upon it. For it truly requires a great effort to believe it. Yea, when one experiences it thus, how it is in truth, he must from that hour die. For man says he is flesh and blood, cannot understand it. Here in this life, man's heart is too great straits to lay hold of it. 
For after death, when the heart becomes larger and broader, we experience what we have heard through the word. The Gospel of John, Christ tells Mary Magdalene of the benefit use of his death and resurrection still more plainly. He says, Go unto my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father, your Father, and my God, and your God. This is one of the great comforting passages upon which we can venture, and of which we dare boast. As if Christ said, Go hence, Mary. Say to the, my disciples who have deserted me on the field of battle, of well-merited punishment and eternal condemnation, that my resurrection has taken place for their benefit. That is, by my resurrection, I have brought it to pass that my Father is their Father, my God is their God. These are few words and very short, but they contain a great thought, namely that we have a great confidence and refuge in God as Christ his Son himself has. Who can grasp such exceeding joy unless one speaks of himself when he says a poor corrupt sinner can and may call God his Father and his God? just like Christ himself does. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews has grasped the words of Psalm 22-23, taking them well to heart when he says of Christ, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare my name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing thy praise. Any worldly lord were to condescend so low as to say to a thief or a murderer, or a low, of low character, Thou art my brother. That would be a great thing, and everyone would be amazed at it. But that this king, when his glory sits at the right hand of God his Father, says to a poor sinner, Thou art my brother, that no one takes to heart, no one receives it in earnest, and yet on that hangs our highest comfort and courage against sin, death, and Satan, hell, law, and against all misfortune, both of the body and of the soul. Since we are flesh and blood and subject to all kinds of affliction, it follows that it must be thus also with our brother. For he would not be like us in all respects. Therefore, in that he becomes like us, he tastes all that we do in order to be our true brother and save us, so that we, on the other hand, may become like him. This the epistle to the Hebrews paints and brings out very beautifully when it says, since then the children are sharers in flesh and blood. He also himself in like manner partook of the same, that through death he might bring to naught him that he had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver all them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily not to angels doth he give help, but he giveth help to the seed of Abraham. Therefore behoove him, in all things to be made like unto his brethren, that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. St. Paul, in a very beautiful way, condescended the benefit and use of both of Christ's sufferings and his resurrection in one short passage, as in a nutshell, what he says to the Romans, who was delivered up for our uh, trespasses and was raised for our justification. Romans 4.25 But on this theme, enough has been said for the present. Whoever desires may profit and meditate on it. More is written about it in the postal. Whoever desires to have it 
let him get it and read. We will not... We will now discuss another subject, since people in many localities still cling to the Lord's Supper on Easter. This custom is so deeply drilled into them, it's very difficult to root it out everywhere. We wish to give some instruction to the single-minded and plain people. They should at present time partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And thus ends Luther's sermon given on Easter. Thank you for listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. May the Lord keep you steadfast in the one true faith given unto the saints. May He persevere you so that one day, my brothers and sisters, we can stand before our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and shout free from sin and free from death in perfect obedience. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Till then, God bless.